So good morning. We are going to get back, and you're going to hear the rest of that story. Um, But before we do that, we're going to be in God's Word, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 4. And so if you have a Bible on your phone, in your hands, uh, or if you want to follow along on the discussion guide and the Why Is That a Free app, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And we're going to talk about storms, and we're going to talk about the storms of life, And we're going to look at Jesus and the disciples weathering a literal storm and see what lessons we can glean from that. Before I begin, let me introduce myself. I'm Bruce Druksma. I'm the pastor of community and spiritual formation here at Wyzetta Free. I'm excited to be here this morning. And we're going to talk about storms. And as you can see, I have a canoe up here. For a number of years, I worked at Rock Ridge, which is a free church camp up in the Boundary Waters. I have weathered some storms on lakes. Uh, Storms at sea are a little different. We'll talk about that too. But uh, I think there's some lessons we can learn from weathering storms. Um, And one of the lessons that I learned pretty quickly at Rock Ridge, working in the Boundary Waters, is that when you are in the storm, it is the wrong time to prepare for the storm. You need to be prepared for the storm before you are in the storm. We're going to unpack a little bit. How do we as believers prepare for the storms of life before we are in them? But I thought it would be appropriate to start by giving you a pop quiz about how prepared you are for the storms of life. So we're going to take a quiz. If you have a smartphone, uh, you can scan the QR code. You can go to menti.com. Uh, I have a quiz And it is taken right from the Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook, which has such wonderful things as to how to spot a murderous clown. Um, The question that you're going to be answering is, how prepared are you to survive a smart home that outsmarts you? So um, you're going to go there. You're going to see four options. You're going to vote on one of them, what you think is the first step, according to this book, the first step you should do to uh, when, you're, when your smart home outsmarts you, um, again, all sorts of useful stuff. How to jump from a moving motorcycle to a moving car. I used that one last week. So, um, you know, there you go. So uh, go ahead and take that, and we'll see how prepared you are. And once we start getting some results, we'll put those up there so we can see. Uh, you should have four options. Let's see if I can remember what they are. Um, I don't have them written down here. All right, there they're coming. Uh, how are we doing? There it comes. Uh, what is the first thing you should do? Uh, okay, turn off your smartphone, disable Siri, Alexa, other smart assistants, burn the entire house to the ground. Some people think that's a great option. Flee to your neighbors. Great. Uh, yeah, so... Um, I would have been with the majority of you. Uh, actually, the first thing they suggest is to turn off your smartphone um, so that whoever has taken control of your house can no longer track you is the first step. Turn off your smartphone. Um, then after that, you can start disabling the other things. I would have started there. I would have said, you know, unplug the Wi-Fi router, but apparently that's not correct. Now you know, now you are better prepared for when your smart home outsmarts you. Um, you know, you now know the first step, turn off your smartphone. But we need to prepare for the storms before they come. We need to be prepared because when you're in that moment, if you're like Eunice and you're sitting there in that moment and your life is falling apart, if you have not thought about where you need to be, you're behind. And we're in this series called Lake Life and and 
and we've been talking about these stories of faith, people taking steps of faith around the Sea of Galilee, around the lake, as Jesus is challenging people to take the next step. And we started this series, uh, Kevin talked with John Ortberg from his book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. Um, and, and we've kind of been taking those same kind of sayings every week, right? If you want to walk on water, take that. Simply, you got to start by getting out of the boat. If you want to live an extraordinary life the next week, you've got to say yes to Jesus. If you want to see a life transformed, you may need to carry them with others. If you want someone to follow you, you've got to be followable. And today I would say to you, if you want to weather the storms of life, you need to keep your focus on your creator. If you want to weather the storms of life, you need to keep your focus on your creator because these storms will happen. And again, storms at sea are different uh, than storms on the lake. On Lake Minnetonka is one thing, on Lake Michigan is another thing, and on the ocean is something completely different. And the storms will come. I've heard a lot of people over the last couple of years, especially through COVID, saying, hey, we're all in this together. We're all in the same storm together. And that's, that's true, but we're all experiencing it in different ways. And when a storm hits your life, even if somebody else has experienced the same storm, how you weather it, how you navigate it is going to be different. It's going to be, it's going to be a different situation. No situation is exactly the same. And so how do we prepare for those unexpected things? And I think it's appropriate that Mark, in Mark chapter 4, before he tells this story, before Mark tells the story of how the disciples weather this storm, he gives all these parables. Jesus teaches these parables on faith. That if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. That if you have faith, the farmer plants the seed in faith knowing that it will grow. And he gives all these, these parables and these stories of what faith looks like. And then we get to verse 34, which is our transition to our story today. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And so we're going to see him explain this. And what he's getting at is what is more important than the size of your faith is its placement. Where are you placing your faith? In what, when you weather the storms, when the storm comes, where are you placing your faith? The size of it isn't the important part. The placement is. Where am I putting my faith? And as I see it, as we look at the story, the disciples had four options. They had four options of places they could have put their faith in this story. And the first option was in the situation. And for that, I have a life jacket. Faith in the situation, first option. These were seasoned sailors. They're in a boat. They're at home on the water. These are fishermen. They know what a storm at sea looks like. They can have complete confidence in their situation. They are at home on the water. I can relate. I loved, still do, love the water. I was awkward on land. I am at home on the water. Put me in a boat put me in the water swimming, I'm better. Put me on land, ugly, awkward. Watch me run, don't want to watch that. Watch me swim, better. Still not great, better. I don't think anyone looks really good until you get to the Olympic level as far as swimming, but awkward on land. The disciples are at home. They have every reason to feel safe in their situation. Verses 35 and 36 of Mark chapter 4. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. 
Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. So in in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see that Jesus is teaching from the boat. So he's got a large crowd. He's sitting in a boat. There's other boats around. He's teaching the crowd. Picture a football game. If any of you have been to a football game at a collegiate or a professional level especially, or a baseball game where the home team is either winning extraordinarily or losing extraordinarily, what do people start doing towards the end of the game? They leave. They leave early to beat the crowds, right? How many of you had a parent growing up who always left early to beat the crowds? You were going to be the first ones out the door. Fourth of July, we went in, I live out in Delano. Delano does a huge Fourth of July celebration. We went to watch the fireworks. We found this spot that two years ago was a secret spot that is no longer a secret spot. And we get to our spot and we watch the fireworks. And as they end, we are at the back of the crowd and I was that parent. Let's go! Grab the chairs, grab the kids, run to the car, get in the car, turn into the school, out of the school parking lot, onto the school driveway, and we sat there for 40 minutes waiting because everybody else tried to leave just a little early. <laughs> and we found ourselves right in the thick of it. And that's almost what we get here. He's not leaving early. I mean, he's the preacher, right? It'd be like me leaving early this morning. He's not leaving early, but he's definitely got a head start. And they're taken off to go across the lake. They're at home. They're in a comfortable situation. There's other boats there. I, I mean, we do this all the time. We look around. Is anybody else leaving? Okay. Anybody else out here? Uh, I want to go swimming. Is anybody else going swimming? Okay, it must be okay. Other boats. They had all sorts of reasons to be comfortable in their situation. Now, to be clear, that is misplaced faith. To put your faith in your situation is misplaced. That is not where our faith belongs. Now, I'm not going to say we shouldn't wear life jackets or buckle our seatbelts. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear that. But that shouldn't be where our confidence lies. That should not be where our faith is. Wisdom has us do those things. Faith is different. Faith is saying, I completely put my trust, not in my life jacket, not in my seatbelt, but in God. It is misplaced faith for the disciples to put it in that situation. The second option is the canoe itself. The boat They had faith in their boat. Again, remember, these are professional fishermen, most of them. Some of them, as we heard last week, were tax collectors and other things. They are maybe uncomfortable in their boat. But for the people in charge of the boat, they are confident in their boat. I have been in many canoes. This is a really nice one. This one can actually hold quite a bit of weight. It can hold a lot of weight. You can fill this thing most of the way with water, and it will still technically float. Um, I've been in canoes where they have been able to take on exorbitant amounts of water and continue to float. In fact, I think if you fully fill them with water, canoes never really sink. They just kind of float less. But there are some boats out there that can hold. I mean, look at ships, the amount of weight they can carry. I've seen sailboats made out of concrete that float. We can put incredible amounts of weight in boats, and we can put our faith in there too. And there's a parallel story from Scripture where somebody puts their faith in a boat. Jonah. Here's Jonah. God tells him to go to Nineveh, preach to Nineveh so that they can repent. 
What does he do? I don't want to do that. I'm going to get in a boat. I'm going to sail away from God. And like this story that we're reading, he's in a boat. A sudden squall comes up. And the main character is where? Sleeping. There's a parallel. There's a parallel here where Jonah is putting his faith in a boat to take him away from God. To take him away from his responsibility. That's not what Jesus is doing. That's where the parallel ends. But you can put your faith in your boat. I don't know what your boat is. But you can put your faith there. But look at what happens. Verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. This is a big boat. This is a fishing boat. It's made to take things out of the water, put them into the boat, and then still get you to shore. The amount of water that that boat would have to take on to be nearly swamped, we're not talking a rogue wave or two came over the side. This is a serious amount of water. Their boat was failing in that storm. Their boat was not qualified to weather that storm. They could have put their faith in their boat. So what's your boat? What is the thing that you are putting your faith in to weather the storm? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your relationships at home or, or with friends. Maybe, maybe it's um, your schoolwork, your ability, your knowledge. What is your boat? What is the thing that you're saying, this will help me weather the storm? It will fail. Just like you'll get in a situation where the situation will fail. The thing you thought you were qualified to handle suddenly isn't. I had a moment in my life where my boat failed, where I felt like God put me in a position where he took stuff away from me that was near and dear to my heart, and he just kept stripping it away and stripping it away until he finally said, what are you going to grab onto? As, as you're, and, and the picture I had in my mind that I believe was from the Lord was like, like a raft made out of logs and it was falling apart and the logs were drifting separate directions. And the question God gave me is, which log are you going to grab onto? Which log is the most important to you? When your life falls apart, what is your boat? What are you holding onto? They could have put their faith in their boat. But what do you do when your boat is swamped? What do you do when you lose your job, when your marriage is falling apart, when your friends are sick, when your parents are, are needing more help than you expected, when your kids are having trouble? What do you do when you're nearly swamped? Where does your face turn? Who do you look for? Option two is their boat. Option three is the paddle. Their abilities. How many have heard somebody say, I'm going to dig myself out? <laughs> I can get myself out of this situation. My ability. I uh, had the opportunity this past week to drive a lot of school bus time. Um, I had a lot of time, let me say that better. I had a lot of time this past week driving a school bus. Our middle school and high school students were out at Maple Hill doing the AWOL uh, missions experience, and they needed somebody to drive a school bus. I have a school bus license. I still substitute school bus drive. I ended up driving a school bus quite a few times. I've spent many hours behind the wheel of a school bus. I am a pretty good school bus driver, and I say that because the owners of the bus company have ridden with me and told me that. 
Okay, it's not just me being naive and pretending I'm good. I've been told I'm a pretty good school bus driver. And yet, for some reason, when I drive for our fall retreats or winter retreats, I tend to hit snowstorms. I don't know what it is. I don't tend to hit snowstorms in my minivan driving up north as often as I do for youth retreats. But I've driven in numerous snowstorms in a school bus. Some of you in this room have ridden with me. Um, It can be scary. And I could sit there and have complete faith in my own abilities. I'm a pretty good bus driver. But if that bus starts to slide sideways, I'm not that good of a bus driver anymore. Not enough to solve that problem anyway. And I think the disciples had complete faith in their abilities. How do I know that? Because verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Why does that tell me that the disciples had faith in their abilities? Because as professional sailors and fishermen, they know they need to try and, and, and handle a storm appropriately. I heard an interesting fact about the Great Lakes in the United States. The most dangerous, deadly lake for shipwrecks is not Lake Superior, which has the bigger waves and the more open water. It's like Michigan. And when they talked to people on Lake Michigan about why that was the case, they said, because we cannot navigate around a storm. Because the storms are coming from the west and we're going north and south, there's no sea room for us to navigate around the storm. A good sailor sees a storm coming and doesn't sail right into it. They try and get around it. When your boat starts leaking, you try and bail it out. When you find yourself going into a storm, they have this term called batten down the hatches, where they would literally take the hatches on a ship, close it, and tighten them down to keep water out, knowing water would come over the bow. Sailors know these things. And yet, they finally, after having done all of these things, they turn to Jesus, and they, they speak to him in such judgment and with such arrogance. Don't you care if we drown? A better translation of that tone is actually found in the message. Teacher, is it nothing to you that we are going to drown? They turn to Jesus in anger because they have exhausted everything in their power. And why do I know that? Because that's what I do. When I have exhausted everything in my power, I turn to those around me in anger and frustration at my own shortcomings. How dare you? Don't you care that I'm hurting? Don't you care if I might drown? Don't you care? I've done everything I can. Don't you care? And we turn to those around us once we have done everything and we've reached the end of ourselves. And they do the same to Jesus. They have tried everything. And they turn to Jesus and say, don't you care? I've had faith in my own ability rather than maintaining faith in the one who gave me that ability. Like putting my faith in my situation or in my boat, to put it in my own abilities is to misplace that faith. It is to put it in the wrong spot. 
There's a limit to what I can do. There's a limit to what my boat can do. There's a limit to the situations that I can handle. And therefore, I need to turn my faith to something bigger than those things. We need to have faith in our creator. Where's Jesus in this story? He's in the back. He's sleeping. And not because he's naive or rude or like Jonah trying to escape. I know some people turn to naps as an escape technique. When life gets too hard, I'm going to go take a nap. I'm just going to ignore the situation. That's not what Jesus is doing. And Jesus is not saying we should nap when life falls apart. Although, never underestimate the power of a snack and a nap. That's right. There's a story in the Bible about that. I think Elijah uh, takes a good nap and has a snack, and his whole perspective changes. Um, But that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not escaping. Jesus is not hunkering down and avoiding. But he is modeling for us what appropriate faith is like. Appropriate faith focuses on the creator. Appropriate faith looks at our creator and says, I trust in you. I can't trust in myself. I can't trust in my boat. I can't even trust this situation. But I trust in you. And I'm going to keep my eyes on the creator. Verse 39 through 41, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Another translation says, be muzzled. There's an authority to this, muzzling a dog takes some power and some control and some authority. Be muzzled, he says. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And here we see the big difference between Jesus and Jonah. Jesus does what only God can do in the Old Testament because he is God. Jesus calms the storm. Jonah doesn't calm the storm. When he gets chucked overboard because he fails to obey until they finally chuck him overboard, God calms the storm and then sends a whale to swallow him and take him away. But Jesus calms the storm. Jesus commands the storm, be muzzled. And this does not suggest that we can have a laissez-faire attitude towards trauma and storms that, bah, whatever. I've done that too. That's a mistake. Uh, earlier this spring, I was here at church on a Wednesday night as, as Wednesday night programming was coming to an end. And uh, a storm came up that was a little bigger than I expected. And a group of us was trapped in the church basement because there was a storm. Some of you in this room are smiling because you were there with me. Uh, and this storm came through, and, and we, in arrogance, can sit there and go, we're fine. In fact, a couple of us may have gone outside to watch the storm, which is apparently what some people do, including myself, which is really foolish. We're not supposed to have that kind of laissez-faire attitude towards it. When we say that we trust God, that doesn't mean we go out and just do whatever we feel like and trust that God, you know, go flying down the freeway on my motorcycle at 100 miles an hour and just trust that God will take care of it. That's not what we're saying. But we do need to have our focus on our creator. We do need to lock on. 
Mark 4, earlier, he says in verses 26 through 29, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And the farmer is still doing his part. He's still farming. He's getting up. He's going to bed. But the seed grows, and he doesn't always know why or how. And sometimes we need to step back and go, God, I'm going to keep going here. I'm going to keep doing what I feel like you've called me to. And I don't know how you're going to get me out of this. But I do know it's going to be you. That's what having faith in our creator looks like. To step in and say, I'm going to keep going. And God, I'm going to trust you to figure it out. And we pray the prayer that Jesus prayed. The prayer that never fails. Not my will, but your will be done. And we step back and go, God, I'm going to keep going, but not my will. Yours be done. And that prayer never fails. Why? Because God's will is always done. God will do what he wills. We want to come alongside. And so we put our eyes on our creator and we say, not my will, but yours be done. Because Jesus sleeping represents his confidence in God. In Matthew six twenty seven, we read, Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And in Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Where is your faith? Or maybe another way to say it is, What is causing you to fear? Because the disciples respond by seeing the creator in the boat with them in fear. And at this point, it's still fear. <laughs> there's, a, there's a Bible, a, a new translation by Jan Harthen that has come out. Uh, it's for kids. It's a, it's a new translation where they limited, the translators limited themselves to a fifth grade level, a fifth grade language. But they started a new, from a new translation, not, not taking a current one and, and reducing it. And I love the way she put it. Jesus' special helpers were super scared. This isn't a little scared. I love the innocence. Of, it's super scared. They were super scared. Because they didn't yet have faith that Jesus was the creator. They knew something significant had happened. And like Kevin talked last week, faith is a series of steps. We're watching the disciples take one more step. This is different than I expected. I am really afraid of what's going on in this boat right now because he just talked to the wind and waves and it was stilled. And I don't know what to do with that. And we're going to see that the disciples don't fully get it until Jesus is resurrected. We have the benefit of having known the full story. We know that Jesus is God. So we don't need to be super scared, but we do need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. We do need to have that reverence, that awe, that healthy fear of the Lord. So where is your faith or what are you afraid of? Are you in a healthy spot with the Lord where you, where you fear the Lord, not out of a, a fear of retribution or anger, but an acknowledgement that he is God and I am not? Or are you fearing the storm? Or are you looking around when your life falls apart, putting your trust in yourself, in your boat, or in your situation? 
The Gospel of Mark was likely written to the scattered Christian church in the Roman Empire just short of the persecution from Nero. And so these stories would reassure believers who are already facing some popular persecution. They're already seeing their culture shift and they're likely facing an outbreak of real persecution. And so his words to them, Jesus' words through Mark, um, is that although Jesus may not always appear to be present or to care, he will deliver his people who are in various kinds of trouble. Therefore, all of his disciples should not doubt. There are going to be times where it feels like God isn't there, where it feels like God doesn't care. True faith says, not my will, but yours be done. And as your disciple, I have no reason to doubt. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for how you have helped us as a church, as a community, and as individuals to weather our storms. We continue to focus on you as our creator. God, help us to put our faith in you and to fear you and not fear the storms. God, help us to set aside our own abilities, our own situations, and our own boats to focus on you. We pray this in your name. Amen.